Hello everyone and welcome back to the Film Score Podcast. I hope you haven't been too sad about my very brief absence. I know it's uh, tough to go uh, an extra two weeks without hearing me, but I'm back. Today my guest is Nitin Sony, and almost coincidentally we first talk about his upcoming new album Identity, which he announced the morning of when we recorded about two or three hours beforehand so i actually ended up being the first interview that he did about this new album although given the early days of it there are a lot of things that he couldn't discuss but fortunately the day before he had released the single with guy garvey called darling boy we do spend a little bit of time talking about that it's a really nice lovely pleasant song i highly recommend giving that a listen but as I said, this was all coincidental because our primary goal was to talk about his score for the new rom-com, What's Love Got to Do With It? Which is kind of a cultural blend, cultural hybrid dealing with differences in dating and marriage in the UK between, I suppose, white Brits and British people of Pakistani background. And so his score as well has this hybrid of some more traditional romantic moments as well as classical indian music which he discusses with me talking about the significant similarities and overlap and effectively near identical nature between indian and pakistani classical music and then some fairy tale aspects as well it's a really cool interesting mixture that i don't know if i've ever really heard now, of course, if you want to know more about Nitin, you can check out his website, his social media, and do the same for me. I've created a Facebook account, so check that out as well. And fortunately, I am back on my normal schedule, so keep your ears open for new episodes. Got a lot of good interviews in the works. Until then, sit back and I hope you enjoy. Well, Nitin, thank you so much for joining me today. How have you been? Yeah, really good. Yeah, just uh, being a bit manic, um, just working on a on a couple of film projects and a TV one. Uh, the TV project is um, a Nancy Boys, which is an Amazon project with Neil mm. Gaiman. So I'm I'm working on that at the moment. But also I'm doing a, a film which I'm not allowed to talk about. And then, uh, <laughs> as, as the usual thing is, and then I'm I've just finished my new album, or I'm finishing it. We're mastering it for Warner Music, and uh, I just put out a single which came out yesterday and had a really good response from radio. So yeah, feeling good. So I I want to dive into a number of those. But first, how much does it drive you crazy working on a project, but having, you know, an NDA or a confidentiality agreement, knowing that you can't talk about it for who knows how many months? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it can be years as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit frustrating. It's not the end of the world. I mean, it's, um, I enjoy what I do from the artistic point of view so i i get that that's to preserve the integrity of the project so it doesn't leak out too much beforehand and what what i think is is good is to make sure you minimize judgment before you finish a creative process of any kind i think over and above the commercial or legal aspects of it i think it's about really one thing i respect about confidentiality until a project's 
come to fruition or it's ready to present to the world is the fact that you you have the freedom to constantly change and mm. move around and play with an, an idea and i think if there's um, any leak of what a project is about or how it's come to be before it's finished i think sometimes people can make assumptions that aren't necessarily going to be the case at the end of the project it's actually interesting you mention that because and i know this is getting away from film but with media more broadly art something happened sometime last year with the the game company rockstar where right. i think there was a hack and a lot of information and stills and things like that of their next grand theft auto game was released and it had a lot of criticism even though the game was let's say three years out from being released and it's like how can you judge a project whether it's a game a film a series an album before it's done it's unreal that people do that yeah and also it can also there can be commercial aspects to it. i mean again with confidentiality when i made an album and i collaborated with paul mccartney we wanted to uh, release that information and tell people about it as a big thing leading into the album but ironically someone from the label had let their girlfriend have access to some of the information in in Singapore or something and she'd actually um she'd actually got quite excited about it and sent it to a friend of hers who happened to be a journalist and before you knew oh, it, it was no. everywhere so it kind of got out there and uh, and then the whole power of the story which was a really good one you know in terms of what the subject matter was that we were collaborating on and so on it kind of just it it died a death before it had a chance to breathe so yeah, it can Jeez. it can work against you, you know, if if things come out too early. Yeah, well, you know, something that I think is it seems like coming out right on time. I saw was it yesterday you mentioned the first single from your upcoming album, the album's identity, the song oh, yeah. Darling Boy, you collaborated with Guy Garvey on. And, you know, I I know that the album itself is forthcoming so you know well we've announced it now so i can yeah exactly. i can talk about the album yeah because it, in fact you're the first person i'm talking to about the album weirdly even oh though we're talking about look at things, that but yeah but uh, <laughs> but yeah i mean so um yeah i'm excited about it because we've got some great collaborators um those i can't mention yet but i'm i'm excited because it's it's the first album i'm doing with warner music my last album was with sony and it was more of a it was a different kind of album this this album feels um you know, straight away we had radio jumping on the single yesterday in a really good way. Um, Lauren Laverne very kindly played the track in the morning on the breakfast uh, program on um, BBC Six Music, which is a great station. And uh, she really was effusive in her in her praise of the track, and and I thought that was great. Um, and then you know Joe Wiley later on on BBC Radio Two. So we we've had those two really good plays yeah. to get on the first day of release and. And the uh, response across the board has been amazing. People have really, really liked the track and um, it feels good. I mean, it feels like a good summer's track, you know. I mean, it's kind of leading into, it was a beautiful summer's day that it came out on. People, I think, you know, really felt that vibe from it. It's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a kind of unashamedly kind of joyful <laughs> track in a lot of ways. Um, you know, in the, it's a celebration uh, from Guy Garvey of his newborn son at the time when, when he was born. But it's also kind of, I, I got a lot of um, kind of posts from people who were saying to me that they thought it'd be a great gift for their kid or for the, for the son. Or, and I thought that was really cool that people kind of felt they could use it in that way or they, they, they liked it that much. That's great. And it's, it is something that, I don't know, I mean... It's just nice, especially, I think, now having something come out that can just be 
pleasant, be enjoyable, be joyous, but like not being so overly so that it's like cloying either. Yeah, I mean, one thing I would say though is, is there's probably quite a lot of darker stuff <laughs> might happen, but it's not, it's not, it doesn't ever get maudlin yeah. or anything like that. I mean, the album I think is still, it's it's just an exploration of people's identities in different ways. I mean, Guy Guy felt that he wanted to express his identity as a parent, as a mm. father. I thought that was really cool and something we don't really hear enough. There were a lot of artists in different ways who had a lot to express from their own points of view and some were really surprising in terms of the lyrics that they wrote or the way in which they they sung their ideas so I mean you know and sometimes I'd write for people as well you know there's some spoken word stuff that I've written based around ideas on fluid identity and and changing identities dynamic identities all kinds of things and so you know there's going to be um, around 16 tracks which form the core of the album and I'm really excited about it I mean the response the the record company are very very upbeat about it and um, we've been in contact not just every day, but probably every couple of hours we've been speaking mm. about how to really best make sure that people really get a chance to, to hear the album in the way they should. That's great. And yeah, it does seem with a lot of your music that, particularly with the album releases, that there is a, a philosophical underpinning or theme. You know, I was reading and listening to Beyond Skin earlier, and that's very prevalent. And, and even, um, I think it was in a, a tweet you had two hours ago, maybe, talking about how we're all humans and we can't forget that aspect of it that, that brings us all together. And you had, you tied that into announcing the album as well. Yeah, I mean, that's essentially the basis of, or the underlying philosophy of the of the album. And I sent that out to all of the participants as well, all the collaborators. Mm-hmm. So they knew where I was coming from, from the start. It was more elaborate, actually, what I sent them. But I, yeah, I mean, I like to formulate an idea first of what I want to riff around and what I want to kind of play with as as the theme and it helps me to create a narrative and build a structure that's kind of subliminal I mean you know film scoring and scoring for tv or scoring for anything really you know whether it's theatre or dance or you know all kinds of things which I do I'm always looking for that narrative kind of structure but not necessarily in a literal way you know mm-hmm. and this is the thing about scoring for film is that you're not ne- necessarily trying to be didactic or, or kind of create some kind of a, a literal narrative you're you're looking to find the subliminal way in which an idea evolves and that could be the psychological aspects of a film or it could be the ways in which character development happens and so on so it's kind of it's always interesting to me to find an approach to narrative expressed through sound and music that isn't necessarily too pronounced or clear. Yeah, and and I think often with uh, a musical approach to something, especially when it's instrumental, those approaches are often abstract in some extent. It's interesting yeah. too, though, with what you're talking about in the upcoming album identity i saw that you'd mentioned about what's love got to do with it that the film's in part about coming to terms with and reconciling with one's own identity and i thought that those two thematic aspects are obviously coincidental that there's that overlap but an interesting coincidence nonetheless I think it's probably not coincidental in that I think, you know, given that I've made a lot of albums and and film scores and so on, and which are around those kinds of ideas, I'm kind of known for that in some ways. So I think it's probably why I'm chosen for certain projects is because I have that way of thinking and that comes through in the work that I do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's my approach. 
although, you know, I, I try to be very flexible and move around in lots of different ways musically, I have an underlying philosophy that works through everything I do. So it's kind of, you know, I'm, I'm very solid in, in terms of my thinking processes around the work that I make. Now, when you're composing for, for a medium, for something like film, does it become more difficult to have your own philosophies flow through the music like that because there's those pre-existing constraints and you're kind of a secondary part in the, the creative process or the, the creation of the project itself? So the best way around that is to work with people who are not necessarily like-minded, but whose, whose uh, ways of thinking you either empathize with or have some kind of connection to. You know, obviously, Shekhar Kapoor, I knew him very well. I loved Bandit Queen. I loved Elizabeth, Elizabeth the Golden Age. I'd met him several times. Mm -hmm. Jemima Khan, I know her position on many things. I understand her politically. And when I met her, I there were no surprises. And, and uh, where they're coming from, both Shekhar and Jemima, I totally get. And that's why I get on very well with both of them. A naughty boy, you know, somebody who I'd met many times. So I kind of knew how he thought as well. So kind of, I'm quite careful to make sure I don't pick films or, or projects that are going to put me in conflict with myself or anyone else. There may be some conflicts that are creative ones, but generally I find that uh, the people I want to work with and that I do end up attracting as well, we seem to kind of find common goals and common ways of thinking quite quickly. Hmm. Interesting. So, so I mean, on, on this film in particular, then how was how was that creative process and collaborative process? It was really interesting from lots of angles because I mean, you know, with meeting Shekhar, first of all, Shekhar came over with Naughty Boy and we talked about the ideas and uh, Naughty Boy. I mean, basically, Naughty Boy uh, works with me on one track, which which mm -hmm. then you know became remixed and worked in a few different ways. We wanted to use that track as a launch pad for the rest of the score in a way to kind of really try and find a way in so it was quite good to kind of break the back of this kind of wedding song because it felt like a key moment and then kind of look at the whole story and then kind of so that was how we approached it with Sheka. Um, Jemima was less concerned about that and you know wanted to really you know obviously because she'd written the script wanted to kind of work with a narrative from the start there were several editors during the course of this and they changed and so in the end I kind of was very much trying to find a score that felt like everyone would get it. It was tricky because, I mean, obviously there are lots of different opinions about what what works musically, what people wanted to say. It felt like quite a unique vocabulary in that there weren't many references of this kind of a film out there to kind of say, okay, it's that kind of music or it's that kind of flavour we're looking for. It was kind of once you start moving towards kind of Notting Hill territory or kind of that kind of thing, because it's like a working title movie, it kind of felt like it was inappropriate for what everything else was about in the storyline. So it was kind of, you know, constantly navigating that in a way that felt sensitive to, you know, all the creators and creatives involved. Talking about the vocabulary of the the score, there are quite a few interesting musical choices and palettes that are tied in there you i think you do have more and I, I don't want to necessarily say like more traditional romantic elements but you know along those lines you have a recurring fairy tale motif that comes yeah. through and then uh, some like south asian influences as well that at times are each distinct and on their own and at times you know kind of morph together as well so what was the process of coming 
to those choices and, and then getting them together and balancing them. Yeah, I think it's, well, again, it's about very much, I mean, even if you listen to the soundtrack album, it's very, you, you can kind of hear it coming through. It's very much about um, responding to the individual situations. I mean, you know, the fairy tale thing was very much about Zoe talking to the kids about um, her various dates and so on. And so that that became a motif that kind of went along with that. And and then there were the kind of comical theme with the matchmaker, you know, um, played by Asim Chowdhury and, you know, so and so. So there were lots of different themes that went along with situations rather than necessarily light motifs that represented specific mm-hmm. characters. It also wasn't geographically, you know, it's, it appears to be geographically dictated, but I think that's pure coincidence in terms of the way the narrative works because the narrative ends up with the situations being more in Pakistan. So, but it it wasn't about that. It was, you know, I was scoring a wedding. I was scoring a, a individual ceremonies. I was scoring the first meeting with a Pakistani bride and so on. So, so it wasn't like, here we are in Pakistan, I'm now going to have, apart from, you know, I did these kind of two song kind of ideas. I kind of did these songs which were diegetic tracks. Mm-hmm. You know, one was in a car and one was actually in um, at the wedding itself where they were dancing. So, you know, it was it was just about kind of working with situations as they arose. And I think part of that approach was because the edit was shifting around quite a bit and there were lots of different ideas about what should be emphasised more. than, And so I think storyline was played with a lot in the edit mm-hmm. um, with Jemima there. And I think that was something that kind of gradually emerged was that although the story is, was always there to some degree, it was also reordered and it was the emphasis was moved around in, in lots of different ways during this. And so it, it worked in some ways almost to have a building block approach to things where I was kind of um, looking more at situations and then trying to see how those would work with the edit. And then I kind of went back in once the edit was complete and we had lock um, just to kind of complete or connect those building blocks up a little bit more. But I I think essentially it was kind of a, although it still was a narrative approach, it was a building block approach as well. And, and so when talking about a, a building block approach, then how did the the sound or the structure change then as the pieces started moving around? Yeah, I think that's the thing. It's kind of, I guess, because the narrative went into more situations that were based in Pakistan, and because you know there was a wedding which is a pakistani wedding because there was the grandmother towards the end you know it was about her reconciliation with her pakistani family and so on it became more about music that kind of resonated with that and so you know there was more of an you know brought in more of the bansuri which is an indian classical instrument which is an indian classical flute a bamboo flute i'd bring in strings more towards the back end of things because then you could see romance genuine romance was coming through you know when i talk about building blocks there's also sections of things and how you know certain sequences work together so i guess you know towards the back end there's much more use of strings to bring through the romantic elements there's more use of indian classical music or elements of indian classical music and bollywood influences as well in the opening sequences or the initial ones which are based in london it's kind of much more really about a kind of vibe of everything really you know it's kind of just what what's going on with zoe with her various you know encounters with men what's going on with kaz with his situation with maimuna what's going on with you know i mean like there's lots of different strands that Mm -hmm. that have to be tied together and so i'm kind of responding more reactively 
rather than tying things together, which I think happens more in the latter part of the film. Yeah. And with that, was there ever a concern of things being too obvious, too on the nose? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there always is. I mean, obviously this has elements of comedy, it has elements of romance, it has elements of drama, you know. And so it's kind of tricky to navigate all of that. You can't do things too stylistically if you want to believe in the characters. But it's it's also the case that in, in certain places you are scoring Zoe's kind of like her, her whole... I mean, she's a documentary maker within a film. So you're scoring, in a way, her documentary to some degree without being too I mean it's it's a tricky thing because sometimes you're blurring the distinction between her actual reality and her documentary reality mm-hmm. so it's a tricky one to do because you don't want to just put on what you imagine Zoe's kind of like documentary music would sound like because then that would be quite dull so there's all those kinds of ideas um piano worked quite nicely and it kind of put us into quite a safe place at times but then I was also using an Indian classical rag in places, rag desh, which is a, a rag of yearning and longing, which has a really beautiful sound to it. And I use that also with the flute as well. I mean, it's a, it's a very specific rag, which I, I've always loved just for the way in which it works. It's, it's essentially a major scale, but it also has a dominant uh, seventh that creeps in on the way down the scale. But it also has certain intervals that you work with uh, when you're ascending or descending. And it works very well, you know, the bending of the notes between certain intervals really also it helps to bring out that sense of yearning and longing, which I think was there suppressed between Kaz and Zoe, you know, all the way through. So I think the choice of the rags and, and so on actually worked very well to make it feel more seamless between the different worlds. I think there's, I mean, in, in one sense, it's it's obvious why, but there is certainly a, a lack of those types of instruments in you know western film tv documentary game scoring etc yeah so does it excite you a little bit to have films like this to work on where you can bring those out in a really natural organic way and and kind of show them to an audience both viewers and listeners that just might be entirely unfamiliar with them otherwise yeah, I mean, I, I do enjoy that. But then I think decontextualization is something that you that's out there a lot. I mean, if you think of Nusrat Fateli Khan, you know, his voice was used. He's a very famous Qawwali singer. His voice was used on Natural Born Killers, a Pakistani Qawwali singer, which is quite a deep Sufi form of music, which we use some of in this as well mm-hmm. with his nephew, funnily enough, Rahat Fateh Ali Khan. But with uh, Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan, his voice was also used in uh, Lost Temptation of Christ. It was used in dead man walking so it wasn't necessarily like okay here we have an indian film or a pakistani film and so we need something that actually kind of gets that across it's more that the emotion in his voice transcended the geographical boundaries or cultural boundaries that people may otherwise feel are the ones that are inhibiting the way in which they look at something so i think that is what interests me more you know so i will use a bansuri or use an indian classical instrument quite often in a context that people don't expect. And I really enjoy doing that. Yes, I think it's great to have those opportunities. But, you know, I'm I'm equally happy to put Indian classical instruments across an R&B, R&B track or a drum and bass track or, or grime or, or whatever. You know, it doesn't bother me if I hear that juxtaposed. In fact, I think it makes things more interesting. Hmm. Yeah. 
on that note, then, with with decontextualizing it, using it in different circumstances, I mean, and, and this is a, a, a question I don't know whether there's a, a clear answer to. Is there a, a line where there's a, an appropriation of music styles and instruments versus just uh, having it as, as one more piece in the, the musical toolkit to utilize? Yeah, I think that's why I think it's important to have a good understanding of, of what mm. you're using. You know, I'm unafraid to use samples because I, I use whatever I need to to get across ideas and emotions and feelings. And, and that's really what I work with. But I have a lot of training in Western classical music. I have a lot of training in jazz, Indian classical music. I was a rock guitarist, a funk guitarist. Um, I played sitar, I played tabla. I, I've worked with orchestras since I was a kid. And, and then I've DJed in clubs for you know, I was I was a DJ at a very well-known club in London called Fabric. You know, so I've kind of moved across and, and also having worked with lots of different types of ways in which you can use music. I mean, you talk about video games. I scored Heavenly Sword and uh, Enslaved years ago, which were two great games, which Andy Serkis actually um, did the motion capture work mm. on as well. So I, I like it. And I think the younger generation as well, from what I see on Instagram Reels and, and so on and TikTok, are much more open to music from other cultures and they just see that as part of the palette of everything you know and I think that's what's exciting is you know for them the world isn't a parochially minded kind of way of looking at things it's it's actually about having the the power of the overview that the internet gives us and um, you know I think that's going to continue on you know I, th I think really it's about what works ultimately and what feels right and and you go with your intuition and your emotional instincts rather than necessarily worrying about the cultural origins of things and but at the same time I think that's why when you talk about cultural appropriation it's important to have respect and the way in which I try to respect where things come from is by having training in that and having knowledge of it and making sure that I talk to the musicians that I'm bringing in and I write for them and I find out what way in which they prefer to work because again I'm lucky in that I can improvise and I can also score and and so on so I can I can jump between different ways of working and I'm quite open to that and I like that sometimes some people just want to workshop an idea and you can do mm. it that way as well so I think appropriation cultural appropriation is when people are um, indifferent or ignorant to the processes of someone that they have very little understanding of in the way they they normally would work and what is the best way of optimizing their output in a thoughtful and considered way that is actually respectful to their training and background. And I'm completely okay exposing my own musical ignorance on this, but with the film having um being partially set in Pakistan, how much of a difference is there between Pakistani classical music versus Indian classical music? And, and what did you have to do to, to bridge that gap, if anything? Oh, it's the same. It's the same thing. I mean, basically, okay. say Nusrat Fatih Ali Khan, he uses uh, sargams. The rag system is the same. It's a, it's basically the North Indian classical system is, is what's used in Pakistan for Indian classical. I mean, for Kavali, Nusrat Fatih Ali Khan used sargams, which are specifically derived from the rag system, all the Kavali singers do that, all the singers will use the same way of working. You know, tabla is very common in, you know, all the same instrumentation, everything is the same. And also there are, that whole history is very, very tied together in terms of everything, you know, with um, 
Kathak dance, for example, it has very strong Mughal traditions with influence from Pakistan as well as India. And the vocabularies are actually very much the same. So yeah, that wasn't difficult at all. I think people might assume that it would be different because obviously there are a lot of tensions between Hindus and and Muslims right now in in India. and, And it's awful what's going on and disgusting. I'm from a Hindu background, as you as you rightly probably picked up. But at the same time, my heritage doesn't prevent me from thinking that injustice is still injustice. And I really empathize with those people who are going through difficult times in India right now because of their Muslim background. And I don't want to, you know, get us too far astray on this. But I, I think too, from a a Western perspective, especially if you're white American, British, etc., you can look at those countries now and they look so segregated as far as religious backgrounds and then not realizing that that's like a, a construct from whenever it was, 1947, 1949, mm. when they were forcibly split apart and then you have... Yeah, 1947, August the yeah. 15th, I think it was, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And then you have, you know, centuries, um, millennia of history prior to that as well. But at the same time, I also don't want to assume that because of the shared history they have, they, they must have the same music backgrounds as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, And that's a good assumption. That you, I mean, sorry, that's good that you don't assume that. And I, I respect that you check these things. And that's that's what I mean. You know, you're clearly thinking about things. And that's why I said, if you look at things thoughtfully and with consideration, then that's the right approach. So that's what you're doing. But I, I think it's about asking questions, about understanding, you know, what's going on and, and having, like I said, constant respect. But I mean, what what was great was um, there was a really good synergy between Jemima and Sheikha and the way they worked. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that kind of created a really good basis on which to kind of be creative and find the right vocabulary. Both of them are incredibly intelligent and interesting people to talk to just as human beings and and really nice to just sit around with and chat and so from that point of view it was very easy to really understand their processes as well so yeah I mean as you must be aware you know scoring is very much about psychology as much as music and so it's about understanding not just the psychology of the film and the characters but also the people who are the creatives you know and definitely the director and the producers. And once you got kind of in line with their their processes, their intents. What was the the collaboration like with them? Did they have a lot of input as far as, you know, the, the palette stylings, what you were doing, or was it largely at that point hands off? No, it was, we, we, I mean, I'm very happy to talk through. I mean, I want to help them realize their vision as much as possible mm-hmm. and, and not kind of arrogantly impose my personality and everything. But at the same time, I try to make sure that I'm bringing what I know in my experience to the table. I mean, when I'm making an album, it's interesting because the my experiences as um, a film score composer has really helped me to be able to collaborate with artists in different ways. And I think that's really enabled me to make the kind of albums that I want to make. And, you know, the fact that I'm still, at my grand old age, making albums that I'm really happy with and that record companies still want to sign and still want to work with, that's a great thing. You know, I'm really excited about that. The fact that we still are playing big venues like the Royal Albert Hall and at some point we're talking about the Sydney Opera House and mm-hmm. and I played Hollywood Bowl and so on. You know, the fact that we're still doing that, I think is because of the fact that I've had that film background where I, you know, I'm used to working with different ways of looking at things and trying things out. But I think 
too, it's it's interesting with your solo musical background as well. Is it's not like those albums are released as a you know as a band. It's you know you and three other guys, or it's just you. You go through a lot of those albums, a lot of those songs, and there are a number of distinct collaborators across them. I mean, and, and you know you you mentioned that on Identity coming up as well. So it sounds like that collaboration is, has just been infused in your music for you know, however long at this point. Yeah, and I think that that's the way I think anyway as a human being. I mean, I'm I'm always looking to work with people and to learn from others and and to evolve that way, you know, as opposed to being, you know, I think we are social beings and, you know, I I also kind of think that that shouldn't stop with musicality and musical expression. I mean, we train for a long time or we learn our instruments quite often in isolation with practice and so on, but at the same time, there's nothing wrong with practicing with friends or trying out things, you know, or jamming. Or I grew up doing that too, you know. So I, I think, you know, working with orchestras as well is fantastic in that you, you become a unit with 80 people or whatever, you know. So it's it's actually all of that is very interesting to me. And really, I find all that very inspiring. I promise I'll, uh, I'll wrap us up shortly. But that's cool. On the collaborative note and going back to the score a bit, Obviously, the not the title track, but I think the you know most I don't know notable. I don't want to phrase it exactly like that, but you know what I'm talking about is uh, Mahisona, the wedding song. Mm. You know, you collaborated with Naughty Boy, uh, with Rahat Fateh Ali Khan, and a, a few others on that. Mm-hmm. Can you go into the the process of of writing and and you know recording performing that song <laughs> yeah that's that's an interesting one because i mean uh so it was kind of going up sometimes i'd be going up to naughty boys uh, studio or he'd be coming down to mine and we'd be kind of it's a very kind it's almost like uh it's quite sorry i'm just thinking about the process because it was it was quite bonkers at times but really, really enjoyable i mean um naughty boy is probably one of the most i kind of think he's he's kind of like a you know, I think Nicola Roberts, who's who's a singer, said that he's kind of like someone from outer space who's kind of like, you know, <laughs> landed on this planet. He's got a way about him, which is kind of just really different to any other creative artist I've ever known. Yet it kind of produces great results and, mm-hmm. and the way in which he works is really individual. But I mean, you know, and I, I, I love him. You know, I think he's hilarious and really cool and an amazing guy. Yeah, so it was, a, it was more... It just kind of grew from doing stuff, trying things out. And then, you know, Naughty Boy would bring in, he'd say, out of the blue, let's bring in this person, let's try it with them. And and then they'd come in and we'd do something with them. And it was just kind of something that kept growing all the time. And uh, and then we knew when it was working for the film. And, and I think also then, because I knew Joy Crooks beforehand, actually Joy Crooks hadn't really hit the level of fame that she's, she's kind of been getting in recent times. You know, now she's been touring with Lizzo and she, she was also on Jimmy Kimmel and so on. She's, she's done loads of really cool things and her career just seems to be flourishing. But at that time, she wasn't that well known and I suggested her and they said, oh, we need someone, you know, maybe a bit better known for, for the lead singer. And I thought, yeah, but she's just perfect for this. So we we kind of tried it out and we did, um, we got her on a remix of the track. And I just think that worked really well. And it still sounds great on the film, that direction as well. So, I mean, I think that song has so many different elements in it. Um, Rahat Fatih Ali Khan is a legendary singer. You know, he's following on from the great tradition of Nusrat Fatih Ali Khan and he's... Um, He's a superb artist who has, I mean, you know, 
this is the thing. I mean, uh, Jeff Buckley said that he he called Nusrat his Elvis. And that's what I mean about people who can transcend. And what's lovely is there's a beautiful moment in this film where Zoe and Kaz are watching Rahat Fateh Ali Khan actually performing Kavali. And there's a very emotional moment there. And I think it's quite genuine in a lot of ways because I think Lily James, she's a great singer. She's a very complete artist in lots of different ways, a really lovely human being. And I think she is really moved by music. And I think there was something... There, you know, I think when he was performing, it was very powerful. So I guess it, that having his voice on Mahi Sona was fantastic. Again, he's one of those people whose voice has the ability, like his uncle, to transcend cultural boundaries and, yeah. and emotions. Yeah, I mean, it, that that scene for his, you know, relatively brief it is. I mean, it, it's, mm. it's just like a, a really powerful, and you know, as you say, transcendental moment, just hearing him. And I mean, that was, it's fantastic. You would need someone like Shaker to bring out that moment because he actually mm. understands. I mean, he used Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan's voice in Bandit Queen, which is a very powerful film about uh, Fulin Devi. And that was an amazing film. Uh, one of my, I mean, a film I saw many times, uh, three or four times actually. But because of the fact that I just thought it was a great score as well as a very powerful movie. And I was just amazed, blown away by the direction and the acting in that film. So it was interesting because I don't think the film could have been the way it is with any other people at the helm. Yeah, I mean, it, it does a great job kind of merging those elements and, and using the, the diegetic music as well to really shine through. And I, I think, I mean, you, you remove those moments, even one of them, and it, it has a, a far lesser impact. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I was when you actually see it on the big screen and you kind of finally see how what you've done is working with in context and you see how people are responding, what they are responding to, which can be a surprise at times. Yeah. You kind of think, Oh, okay, oh right. It did do its job after all, and that did actually work well and, and that did bring out that moment and so on. And because at the time, you don't really know you're working in a void. You know, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there are people around you obviously talking to you, but you are ultimately the person who's creating the sounds and the music and the emotional subtext of everything. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, I, I don't want to keep you too long. That's cool. Cheers. That was good chatting, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was a pleasure chatting with them. I'm so glad you could join me. For me, for someone who's not as familiar with some of that music, it was a lot of fun to listen to. I, I always Great. love hearing hearing new things or things that I don't know as well. And, and you know, the same thing going through a few of your solo albums too. Great. Well, that's really good. Well, thank you very much.